This is Internet Marketing. Hello and welcome to the Internet Marketing Podcast, formerly known as the Site Visibility Podcast, produced by the team behind Brighton SEO. I'm Kelvin Newman and in today's episode I'm joined by Andy Jarvis and Katie Thompson and we're going to be discussing how to be more creative in your marketing. So I'm joined by two really interesting guests. So when we're choosing and speaking to people to be on the podcast, we're obviously reaching out to people we know and people that have got interesting stuff to say. So when thinking about who we could potentially get to come on and talk about creativity today, I was really excited to invite two people who we've had speak at Brighton SEO previously, and I'm big fans of the work and I've enjoyed the talk. So I'm really glad to welcome um, Katie and Andy, but I'll, I'll go to Andy first. Andy, can you tell us a bit about how you got started in digital marketing and marketing more generally? Uh, I, I got started in marketing by being real digital marketing by being really old and being in marketing and then evolving into digital. Uh, I sort of came out of uni many moons ago, 2001. Just don't tell anyone because they'll be able to work out really just how old I am. <laughs> and I, I got into marketing within a couple of years. I had a bit of a background from uni there. And direct mail w was the thing that, that we did a lot of at the time and, and radio ads, bit of TV. And then just we sort of saw the opportunity for moving into more email marketing at first and then into social media and then into SEO as well. So it was kind of a, a natural progression of learning different tactics and skills and sort of since taking that holistic approach into a more strategic view of marketing, which is what I tend to do now. And that's obviously an interesting one, isn't it? That kind of like responding to things, which I think is often marketers do well, right? Isn't it? Whereas they're kind of going, I did a thing that was interesting. I found it compelling. Our clients, our projects were wanting to do more of that so and that's yeah. there's that route through that's always an interesting route in for it how about yourself katie did how did you come to to come to this world that we find ourselves in professionally well, it's funny because thinking back to about 2012 uh which is when i graduated sorry um i was always like i hate marketing absolutely i was really like snobbish about it um because <laughs> my background was always sort of in uh writing Okay. Um, you know, from, from writing stories when I was eight years old to, I told my mum I wanted to be a novelist and she was like, oh, I'll start being an actress, Katie, I'll never get any work. So she said, be a journalist. So I trained in journalism, started working in like magazines, print magazines. And um, I was like, no, absolutely not going into that. But then I think just naturally as the world sort of transitioned more into digital, content marketing kind of came onto my radar. I sort of just shut up my inner snob and kind of moved into agencies and then realized actually I could pull sort of the writing skills and build on marketing skills as well so um, I did that I did a qualification with the NCTJ National Council for Training Journalists and then later on when I went freelance also did a degree with the CIM so now I've fully embraced the marketing but with the creative writing sort of plan. Sorry Kevin I was gonna say it's interesting how bad marketers are at marketing marketing because yeah. your number of people you speak to who say like, oh, I didn't want to get into marketing because it just looked hateful. Like, but then they get into it and they're like, this is really cool. I love this. But it yeah. seems to be like we're, we're up there with estate agents and politicians, aren't we? People who are just hated yeah, everyone, by everybody. Everyone's got an opinion on it. It's like no one's got an opinion on like heart surgeons. They can just go about their day. But it's like, oh, we're marketers. Worst people. Heart surgeons are the worst people in the world, honestly, <laughs> really? absolute pits. Yeah, well, yeah, the worst, worst, worst ever. Worst people you'll ever meet. Oh. But, but it is that journey is a fairly common one, isn't it? Where it's like you start in an area and kind of yeah. realise how appropriate those skills or those interests can be into marketing. I mean, I had, interestingly, a similar kind of route to, to Katie. So I was working, had intentions to be a journalist, went and joined um, a magazine company, 
Um, no one wanted to be involved in writing for the website. I volunteered to write for the website when I was working there as an admin person and, you know, discovered blogging, discovered SEO. And that was kind of my route into to digital marketing. It's, it's interesting. And I think those kind of different routes that people have got and skills that they've had, I think, shape the way that they approach projects when it, whatever role they end up doing really and you kind of have these mindset ones and that brings me to kind of my first question today in terms of you know i know you work in different kind of projects we were talking before we came online on some of the things that you were working on currently but katie i'd love to get a sense of you know when you're very first starting a project what are some of the things some of the questions you ask, some of the the bits of information you need to have in order to have a good creative campaign um, so first of all, I guess the kind of background of the company, how long have you been going? Because it's a very different journey if someone's been around for 50 years compared to if they're a startup who started during the pandemic, for example. Um, looking at obviously what they want to achieve, um, who are they trying to reach out to, um, and then kind of what existing marketing have they done uh, before? And if they've done nothing at all, um, you know, are they coming to me for ideas or are they coming to me because they've got ideas and they just need someone to execute them? Um, so just, I mean, in marketing terms, I guess we'd call it like the Sostack method, kind of like reviewing um, where we're at and where we want to be. Um, but I, I, I try and be quite like informal with it. Like some people, they have like a form for people to fill out and stuff, but I'd rather just have a bit more of an organic chat, just sit down and kind of get to feel them, feel them as a person, <laughs> get a feel for them as a person. <laughs> I don't know that you're making it any better, Katie, to be honest with you, but that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, because I, I think it's really important to actually, um, yes, there's a brand and they might be behind a huge company, but um, I think it's really important to get that relationship first because let's say they're like their account manager, um, even long term, let's say if they move on and go somewhere else, then they, they, they know you as well. So as much as it's important for me to learn about the company, I like to learn about the people as well. So I think that really sort of informs the strategic direction as it were. I mean, can I hard agree on that? I, I have worked in places and been on the receiving end of this. Here's a form, please fill it in and tell us what you know. Tell us all about your company. And it's just, it's one of those hit yourself in the head moments with a brick for marketers. It's like any chance you get to get in front of a customer and sit and talk to them, oh, but it's quicker, it's more efficient this way. Stop, go and spend two hours a day, three days sat with your customer asking them these questions that you need to get that information. Because to put it on a form, it's usually filled in by the person with the most time or the lowest paid person who's doing it as quick as they can because they can't be bothered with it. That's all you get. You get bad information in, so you get bad information out. That's it. So, yeah, I think it's a terrible way to approach it when it's like fill this form in. Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's a bit of an argument sometimes to have a kind of a process isn't terrible, Mm -hmm. is it, in terms of like, so so you as a person who's working on a project, whether you're in-house or agency side, but... Yeah, that kind of, you want to be hiding that process, right? So it's kind of, it's yeah. there, so you're ensuring that you're ticking all those boxes, but not necessarily, yeah. yeah. Kind of I mean, I, look, I'm, I'm the world's most boring marketer, I promise you. I, like, I all I sell is process, right? When people say, oh, like, like, you know, what do you sell? I sell a process to get you to a point. That That's it. It's all process. It, there's process diagrams in there. There's charts and stuff like that. But it it's a very people-driven process you know I I don't smoke I've never smoked but when I'm doing those onboarding sessions with clients when I see people going out to the smoking shelter during a break I follow them because the information you get from them stood outside shivering for 10 minutes is worth (laughs) way more than what they tell you in the boardroom with everybody else right it it is gold dust and you don't get that by sending someone an email saying fill in these 73 questions and send it back to us by the close of play and then sending them snotty emails because they haven't done it 
So yeah, for me, the, the, I've got this seven-step process. I'll not bore you with it all, but the two foundation stones of it for me are company and customer at the bottom. So what do you do as a company and who do you do it for? Because most of everything else we do in marketing is just about trying to connect those two things. But there's a little bit more to it than that. But if you under, if you do nothing more than understand what the company does, what drives it, what its ethos and values are, and who it is they're trying to sell to, and let's be honest, most companies don't really know both of those things. But <laughs> like you know, um, if you can work those two things out, everything else is just trying to connect those two dots. That's it. Yeah, and I mean, have you had much experience either of you in terms of having those types of onboarding processes or kind of client knowledge or have the different names for it, isn't it? Where you're kind of trying to understand who you're working with. And this is obviously equally applicable if you're joining a company as an in-house employee as well. But any advice on how to handle that in kind of an online environment? Because obviously it's these kind of, you know, more and more people working remote. That's obviously like plenty of benefits for that, for individuals and for organizations. To that. But it can often be a bit harder to have those kind of impromptu or longer form meetings as well. I think sometimes can be tricky as well. Any advice on handling that in an online kind of environment? Is it hard to do? Is, you know, is it one that you can't replicate? And that, that's fair enough, right, to some extent, isn't it? There's always the argument for things like if you've got any existing resources like uh, brand guidelines, uh, tone of voice guidelines, um, customer avatars, anything like that, that you've just got um, ready to send over that way, you know, for that kind of cuts down the team of re- really long uh, Zoom calls, things like that. Um, but failing that, yeah, just a little zoom conversation if if they haven't got any of that and a lot of people smaller brands don't have anything like that in which case um as i say more of an organic conversation just to tease it out of them just via zoom or something like that or even just like a customer customer testimonial um just to get an idea not not, not just of how the brand views the brand but how the customer views the brand yeah and i suppose that's it isn't it it's kind of making use of the assets that they've already got isn't it yeah. i suppose that, that may come in many different shapes or sizes they may be very involved in some organizations they may be very old in many organizations um and that kind of that gives you a foundation of what you've got so maybe that allows you when you are having those zoom conversations to be a little bit more informed in the conversations that you're you're then having so obviously one of the things i was keen to cover today was kind of creativity um which is a very broad topic and i know it can mean many different things in different kind of sectors and disciplines within digital marketing but i was kind of keen to get a sense of how do you like you know they're, they're inevitable when working on many different projects there's kind of a it's work right this is kind of a a thing that there's a lot of it to do often projects are large often you've got lots of it to do and not a lot of time how do you kind of try and bring creativity to the work that you're doing to ensure that it's not kind of too similar to things that you've done before or how do you how do you think about creativity in your in some of your projects come to you katie first if that's all right okay andy are you sure because i feel like i spoke over you um there was this great talk at brighton maybe 2021 i think it was max hoppy is that his name or is that like his ah, nickname? it was indeed yes hoppy i wasn't sure if hoppy was kind of like a, yeah um so he did a talk on um i think it was like how google inspires creativity and i think he said something like they go out into a field with sheep or, or something really bizarre and uh yeah this whole um look at things like get your best ideas in the shower or you get them on the toilet or whatever and stuff like that and you don't get them when you're sitting in a meeting trying to brainstorm with people or whatever because that's just the most forced uh, non-creative environment so um for me i would really encourage doing anything that's absolutely getting you out of that boardroom um you know i'm all for sort of an exchange of ideas but um sometimes inspiration just strikes at the strangest times like uh earlier on this year 
I was just in the middle of a yoga session and I had this whole idea for like a novel and I started writing <laughs> it. And so, so my advice would be like always have kind of a pen and paper or a phone or something next to you because if that idea is just strikes in the middle of the night, just write it down. And sometimes you could just be falling asleep thinking about it, you know? I think to some extent it's also about that kind of, yeah, taking the moment when it comes, right? I know for me yeah. personally like there'll be days where I'm just not feeling it right and it's like for whatever reason and that could be like not just creativity just kind of like motivation mm -hmm. and, and like I'm fortunate that like I've got kind of the environment where it's like if that day is the day where I'm just going to be browsing around on Twitter or checking whatever it is that I'm distracting myself with YouTube videos about aquariums or whatever it is I'll lean into that right but then when the days come where it's like I've got 101 ideas it's finding a way of capturing those and getting them kind of into the process so you can then do the execution stuff. Andy, how about yourself? How do you kind of like uh, face up to some of this this kind of like day-to-day uh, -day, you know, challenges of being like, turn it on, Andy, you need to be creative today. Yeah, it, it, it's difficult. You know, forced creativity is really difficult. I did my best if you're watching the video today by wearing a, a trucker cap that doesn't match with the rest of my outfit to prove that I can be creative sometimes. And I, I think like forced creativity can be really difficult. And, and like Katie said, and from Max's presentation, sitting in a meeting, come up with ideas, really quite difficult to do. But I think the thing with creativity is, I think sometimes it works the opposite to how some people think. They think creativity is just about having this massive blank space to be able to go away and come up with ideas and that's it. Now, maybe in the arts world, if you, if you are an artist, that's how it works. I'm not sure. I've, I've never been an artist. But when you're talking about commercial creativity, which is really what we're talking about, to me, it's about understanding what the constraints and constrictions are around what you're trying to do. So it's not about having a blank sheet of paper. For me, it's about understanding the size of the box you have. So I've done a lot in alcohol marketing, for example, over the last decade. And alcohol marketing has a lot of real tight regulations. And in Ireland, the regulations are entirely different to they are in the UK. And if you're working with a brand across Ireland, that's Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, you've got two sets of regulations. So you end up with a really quite small box that you can work with. And then the shape of the box changes because you look at what everybody else does in the industry. That's not to copy them, though. That's to understand what the conventions are. So once you know what the conventions are, which is the shape of the box and the regulations, which is the size of the box, you've then got a very small space or a big space. And within that, you can be creative. So for me, the meetings are about being able to define what that box looks like. You don't have to draw a box. I'm just talking about <laughs> metaphorically. A metaphorical but box. Yeah. Metaphorical <laughs> box, right? So you defining what that box is. And then just let people go. My, my favorite, I live by the sea. My favorite is going out for a walk. I do all my best thinking walking. I don't put earphones in. I don't put podcasts on. I just go and walk. And no phone, nothing. You just have to let your mind think. And it's amazing where it goes. But you know what size the box is? And often you're not even thinking about it. And then on the way back, you'll be like, oh, hang on a minute. And that's the little bit where that subconscious kicks in. That's why you have the ideas in the shower, in the bath, or a uh, you know, big flex there, Katie, as well. Yoga, yoga session and author as well. I mean, wow. <laughs> well, well, I mean, I mean, it's a work in progress. That's a really good point you made there about having that limitation because, yes, as much as it's great to have blank canvas, that can be quite overwhelming. I think the pandemic was a really, really good example. They say that, like, necessity is the mother of invention. So we mm -hmm. had, like, I think, like, Burberry went from fashion to masks or something um we restaurants going online and turning everything to like e-commerce and stuff so um sometimes those restrictions actually kind of inspire innovation and creativity as well so 
good yeah. point. Yeah, no, no, what you can't do is often kind of quite mm-hmm. helpful, isn't it? And it is like, and you know, even so we've been through the process of kind of, you know, launching in the States and all that kind of thing, where for us, it, it was on our list for a very long period of time. And the reason we never really made any progress, because it was too big, it was too much mm-hmm. of an, we couldn't really decide where to start. And I think that's not unusual for kind of these projects that people might have where it's like mm-hmm. we should do that thing and that thing is always six to 12 months away and it sort of continually moves into the future and yeah some kind of constraint and for us it was literally we'd hired someone we needed to do something and you know an amazing Lindsay showed up who's an amazing person to work with and it's like well we're now paying a salary for that we need to do a thing quickly and that <laughs> gives a deadline right and it's amazing what a deadline can sometimes do to encourage people to move along Absolutely. And I don't know about you, Casey. I don't think, I think my invite to speak at the first Brighton SEO in San Diego got lost in the post, but um, hopefully there'll yeah. be one for the, uh, for the, the second and third uh, iterations of it. But no, I, I think, you know, look, deadlines are essential to this. So I'm not saying you should just let people go off and walk and do whatever, you know, you need a deadline because we are commercially creative. So you've, you've got to do that, but you've got to understand the, 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 the constrictions around it. And I think the other thing is momentum is often underrated in these things. And like you've mentioned there, but having this big idea, it can be overwhelming. So being able to go, right, what's the next best thing we can do? You know, the, the um, I think it's used in Frozen 2, that, isn't it? What's the next best thing? <laughs> you know, how do we take that forward and make it and take another step towards it? And sometimes it's not even the big idea that you've come up with. It's saying, well, could we test part of that? Because if we can get that to work and that to work and that to work, we can go to the client and say, We've got these three bits that work. Can you green light the rest of the budget? Or you can pitch internally and say, we've looked at these three successes we've had. Now can we spend the big money on it? If you just go and say, this is a great idea, but can you green light a couple of hundred thousand quid for it? No. <laughs> you know, so momentum's really important in creativity as well. So getting some wins under your belt and proving you can do what you say you're going to do. Nice one. And obviously, like, it's always useful when we do interviews like this, because we've got really intelligent people and obviously um, all benefiting from, you know, their process of how they learn, how they develop their skills and all that kind of thing. So I always like to close out um, conversations like this by asking for kind of like a recommendation. I, I kind of say a resource, but that sounds a bit weird. I mean, like kind of a book that's been good for you, a podcast that's been valuable recently, a newsletter, something like that, that someone might be able to go and have a bit of a look at and, you know, um, go to first. Andy's going and clearly getting here, so I'll let him have a second to sit back down. But Katie, any particular like recommendations that you can suggest for things that people might be able to go off and like take more from? So, I mean, in, in terms of like strictly a business book, um, I would say The E Myth. I was double checking the, the author is Michael E. Gerber, not Gruber, Gerber. Um, so he talks about uh, technicians and managers and entrepreneurs. So if you're starting out as a freelancer, you're, it's not just you're not just the painter or whatever. You're also the person who builds the business and markets it and stuff like that. Um, but a book that also really changed my life. I read it uh, in COVID. It's called Quiet by Susan Cain. Um, and it's about introverts and extroverts. And it's really helped shape our business because I work for my husband, Craig. He's very much an introvert. I'm very much an extrovert. And I realised this is why I'm such an annoying pain in the arse because I'm an extrovert and I need that energy and I need to blah, 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 blah. Whereas introverts very much, they're very like perceptive. They might be quiet, but they might have the best ideas. And it's about kind of like learning um, the balance and how you can sort of apply both of those traits um, to work. So a lot of people say, oh, I can't run a business. I'm an introvert. But no, no, you can. Look at all your strengths. Read this book. It would change your life. Oh, that sounds interesting. Yeah, I definitely think that kind of understanding your personality and motivations and 
how you and others approach things is an incredibly powerful way of developing, right? Isn't it? In terms of the ability to do that and like knowing, I think the big difference for myself now versus 10 years ago is like, yeah, probably leaning into what I am good at and kind of accepting, mm-hmm. well, here are the things I'm not very good at. And, you know, actually, I, you know, the, there's, it's better to be like getting a couple of percent better at the stuff that you're already pretty good at rather than trying to get the areas that you're never going to be strong at and making a bit stronger. Andy, you, you fetched a book. So it sounds like you're, you've got a good answer there on that side of things. I, I did. So it's creativity Inc by Ed Catmull. Um, yeah. You'll spot, if you're watching the video, there's a picture of um, uh, Buzz Lightyear on the front. Yeah. Ed Catmull was the guy who led Pixar through um, the, the Renaissance and into making hit after hit after hit. And it's a bit more, operational and organizational rather than here's how you come up with a good idea but there was some great there was a reason pixar kept having hit after hit after hit and it was how they organized and how they how they generated feedback from people within the organization to make things better which is often really about creating a safe space where people can feel a happy to be critiqued and be happy to give criticism constructive criticism because you'd be amazed how many times you're looking to make an idea better and you say to people um can you tell us what needs improving in this? And I do it every time I do a presentation, a new presentation, I'll, I'll present it to a small group of people and say, tell me what needs to improve. And no one tells you anything of any use for the first five or 10 minutes because <laughs> they, they don't want to upset you. And it's like, no, 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 honestly. So you have to set the, the, uh, set the scene so people can feel confident they can give you that critique um, and that the person receiving that doesn't feel under attack. And there's a lot of great stuff in there about how they do it at Pixar. It was written before there was a bit of a scandal. So Ed Catmull ran it and John Lasseter was the creative director who I think maybe ended up getting nudged out under a bit of a cloud. Um, so, yeah, you know, read it, obviously, with your eyes open to that. But the, the elements in there about how they put notes there together and how they foster creativity within the organization, really, really good. And it's also a really brilliant book. Ed Catmull does seem like a nice fellow. Yeah, I mean, I think the scale of what like organisations like that are having to do as a creative process is kind of, yeah, hugely illuminating for what might be a smaller scale project that you're working on. But inevitably, there's lessons that you can kind of learn there as well. And I'll, I'll chip in my one that kind of like has come to me as we're having these conversations as well. I might feel a little bit left field, but there's a dance act called KLF um, from the, the 1980s. Um, and I've watched a few sort of YouTube documentaries. There's two or three about, I think Trash Theories one is one that I kind of quite liked about their process of how they went about creating music in the 80s and 90s. And they wrote a manual about how to create a hit number one single. Um, and just like generally reading up on them, I think can be a really interesting one because like they sampling culture, it's taking ideas and elements of them repurposing. And it might initially seem music, what's that got to do with, you know, writing about um, a you know, payday loan company or whatever it is that it might be that you're working on. But I, it's amazing how some of these ideas can kind of bleed into your work. The, the, there's two things about that, Kelvin. Number one, I have the only signed poster by the KLF of um, them burning a million quid because <laughs> I went to the video of them burning a million quid when yeah. I was about 17. Yeah. And um, I asked the guy to sign the poster and he was like, no, we're not pop stars. We don't sign posters. Yeah, I was yeah. like, I've got a mate at school who said he'll give me 50 quid for it if I can bring it back signed. And he went, oh, you grifting bastard and signed it. Um, <laughs> so it where is it? It's actually rolled up because my wife won't let me put it up. But anyway, that's it's rolled up somewhere in the house. And, um... and number two, it's a perfect point you make, right? There's nothing annoys me more than people in marketing or in any form of business who only read books about that thing. Right? Yeah. When you study and you write a dissertation, the advice is read widely, narrow quickly. That's how you kind of write the opening part of your assignments. 
And the same goes for marketing. If you only ever read books about marketing, like go out and, you know, read sci-fi, read books about music, go on, you know, people are like, oh, I don't read novels. It doesn't help. Are you bonkers? Like read novels, right? Read different stuff. Read widely, read trashy magazines because all of that filters in to what you bring to, to work. And that diversity of thought creates better campaigns. So if someone says like, oh, you know, what are you reading that for? It doesn't help because it's a, you know, a trashy novel. Tell them to get bent. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's a great idea to read widely. Yeah, this is yeah. This is it. This is why I'm always tying about on my phone rather than actually in work, right, Andy? That's the, that's my excuse on that. I'm expanding my horizons. But no, I think that's a really good note to kind of wrap up there and give yeah a good good sort of sense of what people might be wanting to do. So in terms of yeah, keeping in touch, if people have enjoyed listening to you, want to um, learn more about you and your work, Katie, how would people kind of track you down online if they want to kind of keep abreast of what you're up to? Uh, LinkedIn, Katie Thompson. Um, all my social profiles are Katie Lingo York. Um, approach Instagram with pinch of salt because it's making me just pissing about, honestly. But um, nice yeah. one. <laughs> I've, got, I've got links to all of those as well in all of the show notes and all the various places that this video ends up. But that, that's good to know. And yourself, Andy. Uh, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Threads. Doing it for the Threads. I um, the, the death of Twitter has has been a very a hard thing for me to take but i still have an account i don't use it so don't bother trying to find me there but it's andy with an i andy just look for andy jarvis spelt with andy with an i and you'll find me wherever you are oh amazing well thanks very much for that really enjoyed that session hope everyone's taken a huge amount away from that we'll we'll be more episodes coming up soon and yeah um yeah enjoy keep learning and yeah have a great time thanks Calvin. thanks so much for joining us for today's episode of the internet marketing podcast Produced by the team behind Brighton SEO, the world's largest specialist digital marketing conference covering SEO, PPC, paid social, web analytics, and content marketing. If you want to find out more about us and the show, you can check out the website, internetmarketingpodcast.org. And if you've um, not already subscribed to the show, you should hit that subscribe button. And can I ask a favour if you are subscribed and you're enjoying the show, can you leave us a review wherever you're watching or listening to the show? And if you want to get in touch, um, become a guest on the show, or just generally feedback about what we're doing, you can always email me. That's kelvin at brightonseo.com. So K-E-L-V-I-N at brightonseo.com. Or of course, you can contact me on social media. So at LinkedIn or Twitter, uh, my usernames are Kelvin Newman. See you soon.